Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 244 for Monday, May 8th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as the Castle Architect Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. <laughs> I'm not sure I can claim such a uh, a formal title as far as the castle stuff goes, but uh, thank you so much. And uh, if you're interested in just making yourself hungry and potentially hearing about some real-life architecture in the form of my latest loft boarding, uh, you can get in on the extended version of the podcast at patreon.com slash thespawnchunk. Signing up there gets you access to what we call the render distance, which is the pre- and post-show segments of the show that you don't normally listen if you're just listening on YouTube or in your regular podcatchers. Patrons also get access to a wide variety of things we do throughout the month. We have a Chunk Mail Dispenser episode, which is probably coming up next week, where we just read a bunch of emails, and that's been dedicated to our patrons for a while. We have our monthly Minecraft Hangout, which is going to be happening towards the end of May, where we talk about what everyone's been doing in Minecraft that month, not just me and Joel, but everybody from the community. And we have a bunch of other things throughout the year, like our quarterly hangouts that are the -the behind-the-scenes facts and figures episodes all about the podcast podcast itself. If you want all of that, if you want to get the behind the scenes look at what happens in the Spawn Chunks community, that's patreon.com slash the Spawn Chunks. So what have you been up to in Minecraft? How is Castle Grayscale coming along? That's basically all I've been able to get up to just because of the amount of work that still needs to be done on it. But I'd say I'm roughly about 50% completion, maybe a little bit less. I have made significant progress at least, and uh, I would love to spend more time on it, but I'm going away to Spain Uh, Not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. So this entire week is basically going to be building this. And then the Empire's server is probably going to wrap up in my absence if it's not done so by the end of this week anyway. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm basically speed running the castle at this point. (laughs) But it's going quite well. I'm, again, building it all in creative and then importing schematics into survival, which I can build from the Lightmatica blueprint. I've just completed the exteriors for the garrison, uh, the eastern wall and a tower, the sluice gate where the water runs down from the spring that's supposed to be part of this mountain plateau, um, and some other kind of outbuildings and stuff that are at least visible from the ground level in the town that I've been building. Um, I'm now moving on to the Great Hall, where the feasting hall kind of thing is going to be, uh, other adjacent areas like the kitchen and the pantry, the throne room that's near that, And then towards the back end of the castle where the cliff kind of reaches the end of it, I'm going to make that section more like it's fallen away and that all of the stuff has like crumbled due to erosion of the cliff somehow. And that means I don't need to build as much there. So I'm probably saving that for last just so I can dot in a little bit of cobblestone and some rubble and stuff and maybe call it a day at that point. It is, it's coming along. I'm I'm really happy with the progress so far and it's, uh, it's really going quite well. Yeah, it's really starting to feel dense. You know, when some certain screenshots, uh, you really start to feel like it's it's a thick, you know, combination yeah. of structures that are layered on top of each other and paths and bridges and things connecting them together. And um, I like the little, it looks like there might be some, is it copper inside the, um, maybe a bell tower? That's meant to be a bell tower, yeah. So I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that's the impression you get because I was umming oh, and eyeing sure. over the design of it for a while. And uh, yeah. while most of this has taken inspiration, as I've said in previous episodes, from Stormvale Castle in Elden Ring, that one is really from another location in Elden Ring called Rhea Lucaria, which is like the wizard school uh, mm. in, in the swampy area to the north of Stormvale. And that's got a different kind of architectural style. It's a lot more like uh, kind of cathedral architecture. It's very gothic. Um, and has a bunch of like high towers and spires and that kind of thing, which is 
different from the more fortified look that Stormvale has. So I think, uh, yeah, I can mix in a little bit of that here and there. I also wanted to get some copper in somewhere because that's been my thing and I have loads of it just kind of sitting around that nobody's using at this point. Right. And I thought a big copper bell in there instead of a gold bell really stood out as a uh, uh, a landmark. M- made it feel like it was still in keeping with the cold color palette that I'm mostly going with, but yep, had, uh, had had a nice amount of shape to it in the end. Very, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I've got several bell towers around West Hill, which is why I immediately was like, well, I know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I like that. I mean, it's not it's it's not quite a cross because it's uh, like a block and it looks like fence posts, but it looks almost like a cross on the very top of it, like the steeple, you know, yeah. like it, it's got kind of like that that vibe to it. Uh, and you've done that in other places along the top of the towers with like blocks and either walls or fence posts and, and things like that. And I like I like how it really makes the top of these very robust towers feel lighter you know like it gives them a little bit more of a pointy or um lighter look because sometimes i struggle with doing towers in minecraft because of just the mental thing that it, it's made of stone blocks so your brain is thinking stone but when you make the top of a tower look really thick it's kind of hard to imagine like is that really being held up properly like is that mm-hmm. supported well enough whereas if you know like as you've done where you've kind of made the top of them feel a little bit lighter it's like okay well it's a big sturdy tower but it also doesn't look top heavy do you know what i mean like it has kind yeah. of a, a balance there to it any plans on the on the ruined side of things to have any of those towers like horizontally on the ground like half buried or anything like that i would love to do something like that i'm gonna see if it's possible to do that just rotating them with schematica or with lightmatica mm. sorry or if i need to get like mc edit involved or something but yeah there's certainly some some cool stuff i could do with that if i've got the time to poke around but it's not something i know how to do off the top of my head so right now i'm trying not to invest too much time in stuff i don't right. know if it's going to work out or not but yeah we will we will see with things being so close to the end of the season of empires, like if you don't finish it or if you don't get far enough into it in the way that you wanted to, do you see yourself doing another castle in another, in another world, another build, or do you feel like you've now done this and you want to kind of do something completely different? I mean, I'm almost certainly going to build another castle at some point. I don't know about straight away <laughs> because right. I'm probably going to be burnt out on castle building if I'm, you know, rushing through this the way I am. But I, I expect I'll, I'll try another one. This is honestly taking a lot of the stuff that I've learned from both studying other video game castles and from the first time I built a castle in Survival Guide and really going, what would I do differently? Like, how would I structure things and like what kind of set pieces do i need to build into this i'm building it on top of a hill instead of in a valley which everyone said that's not a defensible position for a castle (laughs) and uh you know i'm learning a lot from the community and from the people around me and you know i'm on the server with whip who is one of the most tremendous survival castle builders i've ever seen and you know i'm I'm picking everybody's brains where i can to get the best out of this well speaking of castles I'm going more on the the keep side of things. So I'm trying to uh, renovate or improve the keep uh, in West Hill as one of the last big check marks that I have left to do in the town. Uh, There's a lot of, there's still a few things left to do, but it's things like, you know, a graveyard and uh, a little swamp area outside. So nothing like super, super intense, but I've put three streams into this already and I've got very little to show. Uh, I, I've got a, a bunch of before screenshots that I took. I thought I took some screenshots from the south side, but apparently I didn't. Uh, but then as I've been making the changes, 
Uh, I've been like using scaffolding to like raise towers, kind of put in some different layouts here and there, uh, and kind of get trying to get more height. And the word I kept on using on stream was I want this to feel more robust and important. Mm-hmm. And some of it involves taking the main hall and extending it. Um, I was never really happy with how short it was anyway. And so kind of giving myself like a little nave, like, you know how sometimes churches at the, at the, near the altar, they'll have like a round or a, a half circle kind of dome. And yeah. so I'm, I'm working on that. I, I haven't really nailed the shape of the roof. It was more like, I just wanted to fill it in so I could see what it would look like. Um, so that's there. The tricky part with all of this is, is that there was an existing tower with a staircase in it. That's the tower that has the, the square top on it. And it's like a seven by seven. And I thought it would be a lot cooler if I could change that to like a nine by nine or something bigger. The problem is I put the kitchen, which I really like, right up against the tower. Right. Inside. Yeah. And so and then there's a chimney and me being me, the chimney isn't just on top of the keep. The chimney is actually in line with the cook fire for the kitchen. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So if I I mean, I and could I move the kitchen? Yes. Do I want to move the kitchen? No, because it's like there's a bunch of like armor stands with like, you know, meat and floating. Like there's a bunch of details there that, you know, it was meant to be a finished build. Um, I, I may still do it because I, I may just find myself going up against the wall here trying to figure out how to make this keep look a little bit better. Um, but I've done a couple of things. Uh, speaking of bell towers, uh, one of the things that I decided to do with the top of one tower in the distance, it's a red tower and it's got a bell in it. And I liked it so much that I decided uh, that I'm going to put one of those on each cardinal direction of the town. So uh, just north, south, east, and west. And so the south bell tower is actually going to be attached to the keep. Oh, uh, nice. That's, yeah. that's a, a nice uh, convenient kind of coincidence that it's like right there where your keep is. Yeah, and so because I couldn't think of another place to put it, there was already a tower there, and it was meant to be like a really uh, basic-looking watchtower, meant for like the poorer fishing village that is just outside the town to the south. But then after you know, it's just it's so close by, and I was trying to figure out what to do with this area uh, just south of the keep, and uh, by adding some extra stone and and raising it up higher, and then attaching it with a bridge, it sort of it sort of makes sense. Um, I now just have to figure out. Well, wait a minute, like it currently has has access from the bottom i maybe want to not have access from the bottom because uh the then you'd have access to the keep <laughs> from yeah, this little yeah. fishing hut so like i'm trying to figure out like what's the best course there uh so we'll have to see how i how i handle that but you know i like the idea of having these high thin bridges attached to tall thin towers i've seen gemini tay do it in hermitcraft this year i see it in a bunch of um, concept art whenever i look up you know inspiration for these things mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm attempting to do that um uh, and then i've been playing with the uh the west tower in in the early stages of me planning it it goes very very tall i was going to do something like a spire kind of tower uh on the keep but it one it reminded me too much of the disney castle Uh, and, and I didn't like the, it didn't feel, you know, going back to what we're talking about with the weight of something because it's not like right to the ground. It's actually kind of like on the corner of the main hall. I've had to reduce the height of it because it just felt like it was too big. It wouldn't feel structurally sound at that height. And even as like a, I think it's a five by five or a seven by seven, there's still not much room to do anything inside of it other than like a single staircase up to a bedroom. So it's not really like it's going to be super important. So I've decided to reduce the height of it. 
but the big square tower is the thing that I'm I'm stuck on. Like I I really feel like it would benefit from being wider and feel like a little bit more than just a staircase. Um, but even if I do widen it, it's still just going to be a staircase inside. So I'm battling with like function over fashion. And the one thing that I am happy with is the, um, the added kind of like rotunda that I put on the back that extends the, the main, um, the main hall and then the staircases and the external battlements having multiple heights to them. That to me is something that's adding some beef, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to the keep. But most of the time it's just been, it's been frustrating. And I, I spend an hour and a half making a change and then another hour and a half removing it. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, cause it is survival. I, I don't do these things in creative first. Like I work through the process, uh, live on stream. And one of the comments, you know, I got was like, do you find this like really challenging or difficult because you've already, um, got the build in place and you're trying to like add to it where this wasn't part of your original plan. And yeah, like it's, it's very difficult to, Cause you want, you have these ideas and then you're like, well, that's a good idea, but now I have to check whether it works. You know, like, can I raise the roof of this thing without bumping into the chimney or, you know, causing myself a cascade of all kinds of new work. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm trying to think about what, what might be, um, something I could do. So I'm, I'm curious for, because of, you know, you've got, you know, the level of, of build experience you have, not to mention the castle that you're building right now, what would you change about this keep to kind of give it more importance or more oomph, I guess, for the lack of a better word? I mean, I think you've got a good range of height in there already, and I think that's one of the things that maybe it was lacking now that you built up the other towering kind of structures in the town. Sure. So I think that's a really good start. I think, yeah, widening that tower is probably going to make sense. Like, you, you have to kill your darlings sometimes when it comes to, mm-hmm. like, revisiting this old stuff and thinking, well, that really does need to be bigger so it's in proportion. And yeah, I, I, I sympathize. As somebody who wants to do some renovation work in my own real-life kitchen, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you talking about, like, well, I don't want to do this and thinking, yeah, like, if we widen our kitchen, we have to get the gas piped in differently and oh, like, yeah. all this kind of stuff. That, you know, the plumbing's got to be redone, all that stuff. But in Minecraft, it's going to be a much simpler task in theory but yeah i can i can appreciate your reticence to do that i think overall this is looking great though i think the extension to the great hall makes a lot of sense it's almost like again comparing it to real life renovations it's like you put a conservatory on the side of it you know you put like a a sunroom basically on the side of it and it it works out really well i think so just go with your gut and keep doing what you're doing i think you're doing a pretty good job of it so far Thanks. I think I just have to like, like you said, you know, swallow my pride and be like, you know what? I think I have to move the chimney. It won't line up yeah. perfectly with the with the kitchen below, or I have to move the whole kitchen. Either way, I, I might have to. To the thing is, I really like the chimney, so I want to keep it. I maybe I just need to move it like two blocks, you know, forward so that it um it, it does it doesn't get in the way of the expansion of the tower, right? Because yeah. the, the tower can expand. I guess towards the screenshot, the way towards the camera is where is in the screenshot, like towards the back right uh, of of the of the keep. Whereas I can't go any farther forward because then it ends up being in the main hall. So yeah, it has, yeah, it's only got one direction that it can expand in, and it the the chimney is directly in the way <laughs> you know, yeah. of, what, of, of what I wanted to do. So. Yeah. yeah, it becomes uh, a, a whole new design challenge at that stage, I think. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you just, you're kind of going back and forth. I mean, it is fun and it is rewarding when you know you can make a few subtle changes and get a very different vibe out of something. But 
um, it is much easier to plan from the get go. And so I, I definitely encourage people to, you know, take all these things into consideration. Like if I was going to be building the town again, I probably would have put a little bit more uh, like framework or I would have thought a little bit more about what I wanted to build over on the west side of town with the fancier towers and the taller buildings because those are the ones you were talking about that ended up dwarfing the importance of the keep and i thought yeah mm-hmm. i, I kind of shot myself in the foot but you know in hindsight you know when i move forward with other things i'll try to think about like what's the focus of this entire area and if that's going to be the tallest thing then i shouldn't make anything else compete with it and if you do mm-hmm. it that way then you you probably end up with more success in the story of the town, it really depends whether the keep is still in frequent use or if it's the kind of thing that's kept there and the town has been built around it and then it's sort of fallen into disuse and the newer, more modern stuff has been built taller. Like it it, it can it can feel like a part of the world in that way. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Moving on to the news, we've got a new snapshot this week. Minecraft Java Edition snapshot 23W18A. This latest snapshot has updates on advancements, telemetry, as well as a fix for an 11-year-old bug. Under new advancements, the advancement The Power of Books has been added. To get it, a player has to read the power signal of a chiseled bookshelf using a comparator. Changes in 23W18A. For ease of use, the smithing table no longer requires a smithing template to be in the template slot before placing an item stack into the other slots. The jukebox has been added to the redstone blocks in the creative tab. The step sounds have been added and updated. Walking on a block will now always play a step sound. It was previously not the case if you're walking along the edge of a block with air or fluid beside it. Walking on the ocean floor will produce a step sound for the block you are walking on at a lower volume and a lower pitch. Technical changes in 23W18A. The data pack version is now 15 accounting for signed data format, item display orientation, and advancement changes. Advancement trigger changes include the recipe crafted trigger has been added and changes to the format of placed block, item used on block, and LA drop item on block triggers. Loot table condition and predicate changes include renaming alternative to any of and adding all of. Advancements have been changed as well. There have been several technical changes to advancements and advancement triggers. The Minecraft.net article linked in our show notes has a detailed breakdown of the changes with examples. Updates to telemetry. A new property has been added to every event. Launcher name. The world loaded event now has a new property. Realms map content. And two new opt-in telemetry events. Game load times and advancements made have been added. Pixarifs actually has more about the telemetry. Yes, so uh, this release includes a new global property sent with every event, a new property in the required world-loaded event, as well as two new opt-in events. The updated required events will help Mojang troubleshoot launcher bugs more effectively and understand how Java Realms content is interacted with. The updated optional events will help inform game design decisions and allow them to track and improve game load speeds. So all events is based on the Minecraft launcher brand system property that helps them troubleshoot game launch-related bugs more effectively, 
they'll be able to see if the issue originated in the Minecraft launcher or in a third-party program. And updated required events when loading into a Realms map content world, like a minigame, the world loaded event will receive the name of that map, and that helps them understand how Java Realms users interact with Java Realms adventure or minimap content. The new optional events, Advancement Made, uh, is triggered when a player completes an advancement and allows them to see the advancement ID and the time when the advancement was completed. That helps Mojang as a studio understand player progress and limits, which informs game design for future updates and future advancements. Game Load Times triggers when the game client is loaded and includes the time it took for the client to load. That's going to help them work on improving and reducing the time it takes to load the game client. Once again, those two are opt-in, so if you're not comfortable with with them having that type of information about your gameplay sessions, you can always opt out of those. Some fixed bugs of note, including the one that was mentioned in the blurb at the very top of the article, MC1133, a very old bug considering they are in the hundreds of thousands. This one is from 11 years ago, and it's whether or not a player experiences some effect was calculated based on the block under the center of the player. So even if you were sneaking along the edge of a block, it was calculating effects based on the block to your side or below you technically um and that's changed a lot of different things which we'll go into in a second alongside that uh, skulk sensors detecting players walking between carpet and wool that has now been fixed sniffers continuing digging after their target block is destroyed has also been fixed and a couple of issues with the lighting engine fixes from the last snapshot have now also been ironed out including block light updates not crossing chunk borders properly in 23w17a as per usual there's a full list of all the technical changes and bugs in the minecraft in the minecraft.net article linked in our show notes so with regards to the telemetry data, uh, we are all familiar as people that use the internet in terms of your data being collected and used by various services. And usually if the service is free, your data is the commodity that you're paying with. Mm -hmm. uh, social media is a really good example. I find that I'm in the middle. Like, I mean, I, I will sometimes share my data depending on whether or not I'm using that service a lot or whether I find it valuable. But with Minecraft, I'm fine. Like I, I, I paid $30 for this game like seven years ago and I'm totally fine with them collecting the way that I play, the launcher that I use, like all that kind of stuff to help improve the service, you know? And I think one, I trust Mojang as a company, you know, like I feel like they are usually doing above board things uh, when they, things like, you know, explaining why Caves and Cliffs was delayed. It just felt like so down to earth and level headed that when I think about, well, what are they doing with my Minecraft data? Again, probably level headed, you know, good, good things. So I don't have like a tinfoil hat about this. And I get the impression that most of the community seems to be okay with it as well, because I don't see like the, the people that are just like, pounding their their chest and saying like bah i don't want you to have my data mojang you know like i i don't seem people don't seem to really mind that much where do you fall on on this i'm i'm absolutely fine with it for the purposes yeah. of the the data that they've said they're gathering which is all related to minecraft gameplay and like it, it, the they've done a really good job communicating in this article how this stuff is used internally like how they plan on improving the game by collecting this information instead of just saying we're monitoring this don't worry about it which i think is what puts the wind up some people because yes they're never yeah. entirely confident that they know what their data is being used for um and yeah i i think it's if people want to have 
reservations about the way their data is used, fine. I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do given the modern internet. But I think in terms of your Minecraft activity and the stuff they track, it all seems pretty above board to me. Um, I, I really want to talk about the, um, the the bug that they fixed. This um, I think it was uh, it was uh, assigned to Nembon to fix. So I'm pretty sure Nembon is one of the people who's masterminded the fix for this one. Um, but it's all about sneaking on the edge of blocks for example like if you're walking along the edge of a slime block or a honey block or something like that the game doesn't affect you in the way that it should at least up until this snapshot because for whatever reason it thinks you're on the block next door because technically speaking you are like it's calculating whether or not you're on the grass block one step down from the slime block you're sneaking along and I've run into issues before where I, where I fell exactly onto the edge by like a pixel margin of a slime block and I took fall damage instead of bouncing. And th there are situations like that which that can be like a life or death thing in a survival world. Which right. especially for, you know, people whose survival worlds are high stakes enough, like hardcore players and whatnot, you really want to be able to eliminate those kind of edge cases, quite literally edge cases mm -hmm. uh, in this point. Um, the same bug allowed you to avoid being slowed down by soul sand or honey blocks if you were moving along the edges. And some players may have used that to create sort of tricky sections of parkour courses where you've kind of got to know, hey, I can jump from the edge of this honey block, but not from the middle because it's going to prevent me from jumping too high. Um, but honestly, like, I think it's better that it gets fixed because it creates more issues than it creates emergent gameplay, I think. So this is really a, a positive one to have fixed. Not to mention that it allows for footstep sounds to be accurate to what block you're walking on. And I think there were a couple of other um, like edge cases of, of things which were affected by this that weren't necessarily affecting the player's movement, but were still affecting other aspects of the of the gameplay. So I, I really like that that's been fixed after, you know, over a decade of being a bug. I was trying to think about how this has maybe affected me. And I know that I've got a drop in one of my mines that has a water drop at the bottom of it. Um, but I ended up fixing that or I, I've made I've made changes to it to, so that it's consistent. However, one of the visual sacrifices I had to make in the modern city was all of the elevators that we have in the modern city are bubble columns. We just kind of have this imaginary technology that is just like you go into the bubble column and you come out and you, you don't get wet. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. like that, that, that's just how people travel in the city. And the, um, the downside literally coming down the elevator chutes were that I couldn't have a, uh, waterlogged slab or a water thing at the bottom because there's a chance that you would actually catch your toe on something and die. And you are coming down from a couple of hundred blocks. Like you, there's no, there's no, no boots <laughs> are going to matter. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so what we had to do was suspend two blocks of water, like four blocks above the landing pad. So you actually kind of go through a quick, like drag water, like slow down before you actually drop out. And it also kind of minimizes the dramatic effect of jumping down the elevator. Like you're going down the elevator super fast and then you kind of slow down at the last second before you hit the ground. And it, it just looks weird because then you've got these two little floating blocks of blue water in the, in the elevator shaft. So uh, this should, in theory, I'll have to test it, I guess, um, fix that. And so that we could have nice clean elevator shafts. I think I've got vines holding up the water. So that's what I mean. Like it just, I couldn't find a way to do it that looked good. 
So mm-hmm. I had to then hide the vine. So now I can kind of come up with cleaner elevator designs. And um, I like the idea of having a waterlogged slab at the bottom so that you don't then have to hop out of the bottom of the elevator. Like you can just kind of like walk out as you normally would. So hopefully this will fix it. It's, it sounds great. And I know that some people with like, uh, like is Etho on Hermitcraft that was doing all this crazy stuff with like soul sand underwater and, and or soul sand under slabs and like speed boosting yeah, and with dolphins grace and stuff dolphins yeah. grace and stuff so like yeah. if that if that ends up being more consistent you know as you're going around corners or using that kind of stuff then i think that'll that'll encourage players to to use that kind of you know feature in that when the player is affected by soul sand honey blocks slime blocks like if if that's the case and it doesn't have to be well it works most of the time if it's more consistent, then players are going to do it more often and it'll end up being more fun for everybody. Yeah, like looking at the list of stuff this bug affects as well, it's not just like slime blocks and whatnot. It's walking being completely silent. Your walking speed on the edge of ice was normal instead of having that kind of weird inertia that ice has. You right. didn't get a full damage reduction when you fell on hay bales or beds or anything else that can reduce your full damage. The particles were wrong when you landed on the edge of a block because you'd see the particles of the block that you were over rather than the block that you actually landed on. Um, You didn't take damage on the edge of magma blocks. You could jump normally on the edge of honey blocks. Jumping on the edge of farmland doesn't revert it into dirt. Redstone ore doesn't activate when you're standing on the edge of it. Like There's a huge litany of different things, which has apparently existed since before alpha versions of Minecraft, which I can only assume was just something to do with uh, ice at that point, because half of these other things weren't added until much later. But that's, that's phenomenal. I think it's pretty cool that they've committed to fixing bugs that are still that old like it's not just written off as well this is part of the game now they're still considering these uh old school bugs and and trying to fix them in a way that feels like minecraft becomes more of a a modern and consistent game as a result now does this this only affects the player not not items and entities right i'm pretty sure if it yeah, it, it, it would affect anything where the center can be calculated in a more complex way. So, like, right. the player is wider than most items, but then it's probably going to affect mobs the same way. And I don't think right. anything that's relying on moving items around using slime blocks, for example, is going to, like, take a negative impact from this. I think it's all going to be a benefit. Right. I was just thinking about how uh, a lot of times in the nether, because they don't have uh, water... Um, systems you can use ice and oftentimes the items are aligned with the edge of a block and so as it travels down between a hopper and the ice block the hopper picks it up because it technically sees that it's available even though the item is kind of getting the benefit of the ice movement but still being able to be picked up by the hopper yeah i I assume if it's getting the benefit of the ice movement then it it would work exactly the same way because the problem is the players weren't getting the benefit of the the ice right so So, it's like the players catching up with the with the way that items were behaving yeah it will be interesting to see if that's changed at all and if you know the technical community has anything to say about it as a result but i i doubt i've not heard an uproar about it so i assume it's working the way people were hoping it would maybe you can just move players around like you could move items now (laughs) maybe maybe we'll have to see (laughs) some new player transport solutions in the nether. Well, um, let's move on to chunk mail. We've got a couple of good emails this week, some short and sweet ones. This one comes in from Jay Lenrup, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord, and the subject is removing or adding advancements. Howdy, Johnny and Joel. 
After Snapshot 23W18A, I've been thinking about the current advancements in the game. The new The Power of Books advancement, I think, is a good addition to the game, whereas there are some advancements that I think are a bit redundant, like is it a balloon? Do we really need three advancements for the spyglass? Personally, I would love it if Mojang added an advancement related to the Warden, something like Uneasy Alliance, where instead you need to get the Warden through the end portal. Are there any advancements you would like to add or remove from the game? Jay Lenrup was exploded while looking at ghasts through a spyglass. <laughs> uh, I've mentioned just recently on the show that I'm not a big advancement guy, but I like the idea of advancements, you know, to help guide the player. Because you and I have often said, like, sometimes drop it into a Minecraft world with somebody new and punch in wood. You really don't know what to do next. And there could be more done for in-game guides. And the advancements do sort of serve in that way in terms of like your first kind of initial what do you go mining for? Like, how do you get to this kind of level of, of gameplay? And the advancements do kind of help guide the player if you know that they're there. Um, I don't know that the game tells you that there's advancements if you press L, you know, other than looking at the menu and the hotkeys and stuff like that. Um, unless, I guess you get an advancement. If you get one by just by accident, then I guess you'll know that you've unlocked this tree of things that you can look down. Um, I've It's been so long since I've gone through them, I don't remember what they what they are. Um, like for you in terms of adding advancements like what what kind of comes to your mind well i really like the power of books advancement and this is probably the same reason jay likes it is because it teaches you how to use a comparator and that's not something that's existed in advancements until this point and the only other places nice. that comparators naturally occur are in the few structures in the game that have redstone built into them think about the um the difficulty people were having reckoning with the idea that the ancient city has all of these redstone examples under the central monument, but you have to go through an ancient city and all of the danger to then come across a few basic but classic examples of how redstone can be used. And I think there's <laughs> there's a lot to be said for building that into systems like advancements where you can just see that that's popped up and go, well, how, do, how does that work? How do I do that? And then it leads to you experimenting with what comparators can do and what other things they can read. And the Chisel Bookshelf is a very easily manipulated example of that. So it not only tags like new content in there by showing people, hey, chiseled bookshelves exist now, but also tells them a bit more about how to use a comparator. And I think that's that's the kind of advancements that have really great long-term impact on the game. Um, there was a brief discussion in the Spawn Chunks Discord, which may have been where this email sort of originated, um, about an advancement related to enchantment tables. Uh, since there isn't anything in the game to guide the player to upgrading an enchantment table using bookshelves. And this sort of comes, it, it, it ties into um, the player we've, we've spoken about their playthrough, I think, before. Uh, there's a Japanese player called Piropito who's doing a completely unspoiled right. uh, Minecraft playthrough on YouTube and doesn't read comments, doesn't read the wiki, doesn't, like, get anything. I think a couple of times has maybe been spoiled by, like, family members who also play Minecraft and didn't realize that you could rocket boost with uh, Elytra until he saw somebody else playing it just, like, by accident almost. But he's still... Um, doesn't know how to improve an enchantment table and gets all of his enchantments through villagers. So it's um, kind of an interesting way to, to to mix stuff like that in for the players who don't have any guide and don't know to look stuff up online or don't want to look stuff up online, that they can still access these parts of the game. So I think that stuff should be prioritized. Um, I, as somebody who prefers building as a, an activity, still wish there was 
a reasonable way to add advancements for building, but I still have absolutely no idea how you would track stuff like that. And for me, it would probably require a more in-depth system for what counts as a house in the same way that Terraria has, where for an NPC to count something as a house, it needs to have a background wall, a floor, a chair, and a table, and have like a certain area available to you. And if there was a way to like assign villagers to houses that way, so you could guarantee that a librarian sat in a certain place, or, you know, an armor smith went to bed in a certain place, then you could maybe do more with that from an, an, an advancement perspective. But I, I don't know for certain how you could incorporate building in, given that the game doesn't really have a great way of signposting to itself yeah this is a house this is contained this has four walls and a roof and everything like it it doesn't seem too possible to me i agree with the redstone stuff because i think that would be one of the things that i think are missing is like uh, a little bit more of a guide to get you through early redstone in the advancements as opposed to um tie or like gating it behind going to see the the warden uh in an ancient city i like the idea of advancements tracking for building i've always had a bit of a problem with the statistics in minecraft they're not overly clear to parse um they're not presented in the best way and i think it would be very cool to have advancements for those because one it would point towards the statistics so like if you have an advancement for like you just mined ten thousand stone mm. um then then you say well how how did the game even know that and then you could just open up the statistics menu go oh this is really cool i didn't know that the game was tracking all that uh it's the kind of thing where i wish i had made a note of my block placements uh specifically spruce trap doors before i started west hill mm -hmm. because it would be very interesting to see just how many i have put down uh in in that city um but i don't know then how you would choose what to give an advancement to right like my brain goes to like, well, you'd want to do something cool. You want to be able to give them some big numbers, you know, like 10,000, 100,000, a million. So choosing something pretty common like stone or deep slate would be kind of cool. Deep slate would be kind of a good flex if it was like, you know, the same <laughs> amounts because then you're like, oh my gosh, how much have you, have you mined? I think it might Placing put some it, people off of uh, mining deep slate for life after that amount. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then it's like placing it would be different because placing natural blocks would be maybe an odd choice. So maybe then placing stone bricks or something like that. But there's so many blocks in the game. Like how would you limit the advancement to be something interesting and cool without having to attach an advancement to every single thing in the game yeah and my brain went to like well you go for the common stuff for mining because it's going to give fun big numbers for people that are not really paying attention could be kind of cool surprises and then you could go for um flex achievements like you've mined a hundred um not netherite uh, what's the block that you get netherite from um Ancient debris. Right. Ancient debris. So yeah. you're like you've got 100 ancient debris. You cross that line and you get an advancement. You know, like that kind of a thing. Uh, same thing with like crying obsidian or obsidian in general. Like mining a lot of obsidian would be a time sink. And so maybe they put an advancement in for that. And you no, know, but not not necessarily netherrack or you know or quartz or like you'd have to be careful. I would imagine hitting the minerals would make sense. You know, like iron, coal, you know, copper, that kind of stuff. Uh, that could be kind of a cool flex. But again, like, you know, you just have to figure out what would be the, the best things to assign uh, advancements to because you can't do everything. You know, like you don't want to have like, um, I'm just like dirt, 
or yeah <laughs> or like i'm just trying to think or, or like even just like the woods and like because if you do one tree why did you why did you one wood type and not the other six wood types or seven wood types like so there's stuff like that that i think could be like a, a point of like a pain point in terms of like yeah it'd be cool to open up that gate but like you don't want to open up the floodgates either but as a builder i would be more interested in the, like in that kind of stuff uh and if it was also presented in a way that you could see your progress. Like if you saw, saw okay, I just got the 10,000 stone mind advancement and the next tier is 50,000 or 100,000 and I'm currently at like 27 or, or 17 or something like that. You can kind of see where you are. It just It's kind of fun to see that kind of stuff, but I don't know how useful it would be for, for players, I guess. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure Bedrock Edition Minecraft still has an achievement for getting a chest full of cobblestone. So you mine like 1,700 or whatever cobblestone and put it in a single chest. And right. that's that's still a, an achievement. Um, so the, there's there's bits and pieces of that. Obviously, there's a difference between achievements on you know, Bedrock and consoles and uh, advancements in Java. They are kind of separate at this stage. But yeah, I can, I can see bits and pieces like that working out and like little things that you can track that I like the idea of them signposting to your statistics page. Because especially if it's like you've interacted with a crafting table 2,000 times or something like that, then that at least kind of goes, oh, there is trivia involved in this. And you can see a little deeper into your Minecraft gameplay experience from that. Next email comes in from Emily, building from history. Hello, I recently watched a documentary series about a castle being built in our modern day by archaeologists, historians, and craftspeople using 13th century building techniques. It inspired me to create a castle of my own in my survival world using a similar blueprint and incorporating some of the interior rooms found in this castle, but with a Minecraft flair, brewing setup where the chapel would be, redstone-powered portcullis, etc. How much and what type of research do you do when making historically inspired builds in your Minecraft worlds? Emily died trying to shove a cubic meter of stone into her pocket while also holding a dozen tools and weapons. <laughs> yeah it's a occupational hazard of being a minecraft player it turns out yeah cubic meter of stone weighs a fair bit um <laughs> so yeah my my current builds while i am building a castle are drawn more from video game art and design than from actual historical research and i think whatever research went into creating those environments i'm getting it sort of second or third hand by this point um, so I, I hand wave a lot of the historical accuracy of the stuff that I'm building. I'm also mostly kind of tre treating it as though, yes, I'm, I'm building this, but it's still a video game. So it's still got the slightly larger than life kind of feel to it. And I always feel like my builds should come with that disclaimer where like, you know, any resemblance to real life is purely coincidental <laughs> that happens at the beginning of books and movies and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I'm perhaps not the best person to answer this question. I feel like, honestly, your work on West Hill feels a little bit more true to life than mine. Um, I will mainly just say that all inspiration is good inspiration. So whatever research you have time to do, um, whatever planning you can put into it, and this series uh, sounds like a fantastic resource for people interested in building a castle. So yeah, definitely get inspiration for that stuff where you can. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I would watch that series for fun. <laughs> like, I kind of want I kind of want to know what it is. I'm sure it shouldn't be that hard to find. I'm sure Google can point me in the right direction. Um, but I I do a lot of my builds based on. Well, I mean, sometimes it's just my own inspiration, my own imagination. But I mean, being an artist, that's an advantage that I have. Um, but I usually will grab concept art 
or cutaway illustrations, I, I find that those can be super helpful as well. Uh, and I'll share a link to the map Mapateer, I guess is how you say it. It's an Instagram account. Uh, I shared this on my personal Discord last week. Uh, and uh, they have a lot of like architectural drawings that have the cutaway thing where you can see like floor by floor. Sound like, sort of like when you like pull a Lego build apart, you know, like you can see all the insides where there's like there's a kitchen in the bedroom and the different floors and how the stairs attach and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, any kind of exploded or um, cutaway drawing is very useful because it will inform you as to what the inside space could be used for. And you have to think, okay, well, how am I going to lay this out in a Minecraft space that's going to work for me uh, and that I don't end up shooting myself in the foot so that my interior is like a four by three and I barely have time to move around. Because I find that when you look at like drawings or stuff like that, your brain thinks, all right, well, that brick column is about this. I can make that the size of a Minecraft block. But Minecraft blocks being a cubic meter, as Emily pointed out, you can run out of interior space super quickly. Yeah. So I find like on one hand, I might get some uh, concept art inspiration or some historical thing. And here's here's the thing. I don't know if the person that created the concept art is necessarily basing their drawing on historically accurate buildings or if they are also being a little bit more fantastical and, and imaginative as well. I don't necessarily always read the captions or go to the person's website because sometimes I'm on Pinterest and it's just images. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, but I do find that the cutaway stuff does tend to at least be realistic in function, if not historically accurate. And so uh, by going from the inside out, you can kind of work yourself into like, what's the right scale, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, we mentioned Andy is Yoda last week on the show. And Andy is Yoda has another series on their YouTube channel as well. That is all about historically accurate uh, buildings. The problem with historically historically accurate buildings in minecraft is they're not always that attractive like if you re <laughs> if you really know your history and you want to build like a traditional looking yurt or something or a, a or a dirt hut that the vikings would have made in like 500 ad they they don't look very good they they're historically accurate but they're pretty boring mm -hmm. and i and i think that uh that combined with most medieval spaces being so economical for space because they didn't have the technology to build really large it can also feel really claustrophobic like i don't necessarily like walking down a minecraft hallway that's a one by two it's really small it feels really small in game and so you expand that to be like a three by four or something like that but that then explodes the size of your build and all that kind of stuff and it then stops being historically accurate so it can be a little bit tricky with walls that have to be so thick as they are in minecraft but um for me like i i like to think about Westill as like medieval fantasy it really leans more towards medieval but i give myself that fantasy tag just to be able to kind of like go outside the realm of like what minecraft makes available and and i'm always looking at it like well what does it feel like as a player if historically accurate feels either boring claustrophobic or just not the right vibe then i push it a little bit farther and i make things taller and spikier or make things look like they wouldn't necessarily stand up that way um, but I do find that I lean heavier on the function. So while I do have some fantasy elements, I definitely do things like lining chimneys up above fires. Like I don't put the fire one place and just say, oh, well, the chimney looks better four blocks to the left on the roof. I'll just put it there and not really care. Mm -mm, no, if you take my roof off my houses, the chimneys are generally on top of the fire. So like that kind of stuff. And that's just my personality, but that that's just kind of like how I like to do it. It provides some challenge too. 
Um, but I think that having that realism will help. So if you do try the historically accurate stuff, and I mean, Emily was saying that, you know, they were uh, making some Minecraft twists like a redstone portcullis uh, and a, a chapel that was replaced with the brewing setup in, in Minecraft. And I mean, that, that makes sense because in Minecraft, when you go to a village in the church, there's a brewing stand, like that's where you get them. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, you can have those kind of twists uh, to keep it interesting because otherwise you might be it might be in for kind of a dull ride. Yeah, and I think if you can keep it logically internally logical to Minecraft like you said by having like the brewing stand in the church section then I think that that does make a lot of sense. I think you can add some of Minecraft's unique flair to it. Ultimately historically accurate when it comes to say like a stone wall for example, it looks very different in Minecraft to how it would look in the real world because in the real world, stone has all kinds of minute texture to it. When you look at any, you know, flat, sheer piece of stone, it doesn't look nearly as boring as it does in Minecraft if you're just using natural stone for the entire wall. So like, just by varying the textures of stuff in Minecraft, you are potentially straying away from the source material by including all of these these different minerals and, and whatnot and different brick types and things in there. But at the same time, you're keeping it as interesting to look at as the source material is to look at in the real world just by taking a, a slightly different angle it's really about what of the source material you want to preserve and what can be changed and interpreted in minecraft form in a way that makes it more interesting to look at in the game my portcullis uh builds in westall i think i've got three uh and they all look like they could work Obviously, they don't move, but they look like they could. And I did some research to figure out how would they be hoisted? Like, what would the pulley be like? How big were these things needed to be? Like, how tall is a portcullis that's too big? You know, where a door would be like a big, you know, huge city gate door would be better, you know, because the portcullis would just be too heavy to to maneuver. Um, and so that kind of stuff helped me because I wanted them to be still perceived in the realm of possible function through imagination um but i mean like if you're if you're building a fantasy city and magic is involved like you could have you know magic operate your front door you know you could have a force field you know, like there's all kinds of stuff that kind of gets outside of that when you're not dealing with historically accurate i i find that historically accurate i i go to a point and then i kind of like err on the side of minecraft function and uh i'll use historically accurate stuff to like help me wrap my head around how do i want to do this if i want it to look realistic even though it might not be historically accurate. Uh, Archeo plays in our in our live chat is saying that uh, I have to stop myself from doing too much research because my academic brain wanting to follow the site plans <laughs> as accurately as possible. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, I could, that would happen to me too. You know, if it says like the, I'm not sure, like, you know, this type of rotunda on a castle was only ever, you know, 13 meters tall and 12 meters and 10 meters wide. And that was it. Uh, otherwise it's not this anymore and you're just like but i want mine to be 15 meters tall <laughs> you know like mm -hmm. i just i i would i wouldn't want to be too restrictive like i think it's excellent and cool to get inspiration from historically accurate builds but then also don't paint yourself into a corner where you're then limiting your creativity because minecraft is just so flexible for that kind of stuff it's it's more fun to have a little bit of wiggle room not to mention that with the blocks we have in minecraft and minecraft's overall vibe you can't have accurate modernity in, in Minecraft. You can't build like a really accurate 
like modern city because you're not using the same materials at that stage at all <laughs> like there's, oh. there's a there's a bunch of stuff in in the game that just doesn't correspond to anything we have in real life and like you can't have like sodium bulb street lamps for example because those don't exist in minecraft so you use stuff like beacons and and glowstone and frog lights and things that don't really exist in the real world <laughs> and so yeah there's there's so many concessions we have to make in other ways that it feels like dwelling too much on the historical accuracy feels like you know uh, unnecessary because of how many other compromises we have to make for other build styles i had to do that with the modern city uh, uh, south port on Westall or on um on the citadel it like the roads i i looked up how wide roads were i looked up how long the dashed lines on roads were and tried to find like a minecraft equivalent because the one thing that you can't do is make them the right width because a block in minecraft is a meter wide well the dashed lines on a road are not a meter wide yeah yeah they're there's something crazy like they're almost nine meters long in some places depending on how fast you're going like because they they look like a dotted line when you go p- past them but they're really um they're really much bigger um and i don't remember the math on it but i did spend a lot of time trying to figure out how wide i wanted a car to be how wide i wanted a road lane to be and then trying to figure out like how to do all this you know accurately and i've looked up some things on on youtube where people have put in like bike lanes and bus lanes and my your roads in minecraft end up being like 20 blocks wide because yeah. if you want to have all these things and not have it look like you know your car has to be two blocks wide but generally speaking i think cars in minecraft they make them roughly three blocks wide that seems to be the consensus mm-hmm. um you can make little cars two blocks wide but cars are very seldomly more than two meters wide you know like that's that's as that's a little bit yeah not quite as tall as i am or no vice versa i'm not quite as tall as two meters um but it's just like that's a that's a wide car you know like yeah. <laughs> that's a big big suv you know and not, not most cars are not like that so yeah you do have to kind of have some concessions as you go through things well all of this talk of medieval building and all of the discussion we had earlier about what we've been doing in minecraft lately kind of ties into our discussion topic or at least your half of the discussion this week because you've been redoing some old builds and you wanted to talk a little about um the the process of doing that and whether it's a good thing to do whether it's something that you should just move on from or whether it's worth going back and revising some stuff that you built in minecraft before and this could apply to you know whether you have a long-term world that you haven't played in a while that you haven't loaded up in a while or it could be something like you've on a long-term server like the citadel where you walk through spawn town to the you know the the log cabin that you built day one five and a half years ago and minecraft gives you the ability to change almost everything around you that you've built in the past i mean should you give into that temptation and it reminds me of a quote i don't know whether jake parker came up with it but jake parker is the last person that i heard share it which is that perfect is the enemy of done i'm sure that i've said this on the podcast before but you know it's the same with artwork like if you keep on noodling with it then it'll just never be finished you have to kind of get yourself to the point where you're happy enough with it for the project and then try to do better next time and with the citadel one of the things that i i did with myself as a kind of a personal exercise was the game of yes and so if i built something and i wasn't super happy with it after i finished it i wouldn't necessarily go back and fix it i would just kind of like try to learn my lesson and the next time i did something i would try to make sure i had more room or different blocks or whatever um west hill has been now two plus years old it was two years old in december and i'm definitely feeling the temptation to go back and fix some of the early builds 
And the justifications that come to me are, I was new to building in medieval. I was new to a project that large. And I've learned a lot in the last two years about how I would approach things differently and, and, and do things um, to make them look better. Uh, Minecraft has also had several updates in two years with lots of new blocks and textures. Um, in some cases, I knew what was coming and I held off. So things like tough, uh, a good example of things coming are like hanging signs. I've not gone around the town and put labels on like the butcher shop and stuff like that because I'm going to use hanging signs to do that. So I've got, I've got a list of like 1.20 to do you know, in my book of like, I have to wait until 1.20 comes out before I can actually use this stuff. Um, and so I'm holding off on those kind of things. Um, but those are small. Uh, the things that I try to remember and not go down the redo road is that I would actually like to finish the project sometime soon. Mm -hmm. uh, Westall at least, you know, is, is an ongoing project while the town will be finished. The town Valley is not done. Like there's a couple of farms that could still be put in roads are not complete. So like really right now I'm just focusing our, on what's either adjacent to or within the town walls. And that's kind of what I'm going to call done when West Hill is finished, but I'm always going to be able to come back to West Hill and build another farm or build a windmill or like whatever I'm in the mood for, which is, I think the advantage of having these zones on the Citadel is that if you get really frustrated with your sci-fi builder, you get bored of your palette. You can kind of like take a break, you know, and go build a farm or, or something like that. And I think that by retreading existing builds, it's just going to add extra time to me completing the task. Uh, renovating or adding things in when you haven't actually planned for it can be really challenging. As I mentioned about, you know, the chimney and the kitchen and stuff in the keep not being there, but it's, it's come up recently as well. Like I added that, uh, that bridge to the Western Ridge and it was so close to the curtain wall that it just made sense that it would attach to the curtain wall. But I'd not planned for that when I built the curtain wall. Mm -hmm. The curtain wall had a nice end. It had a cool little tower gate thing. And it did end up working out in the end. But it took me a long time to figure out how to handle the connection and how to handle the uh, combination of a build that I did two years ago and a build that I'm doing last week and making them look seamless. It's hard. You know, because you, you kind of have to, I wouldn't say dumb yourself down, but like you kind of have to look at the style of the thing that you built, you know, two years ago and know that you have to kind of push that style forward. Now, in, in an advantage point, like it wasn't as complicated as I would have made it. So it was faster to do, but it was still difficult from the positioning and going back to what we were talking about with the historically accurate. I like my builds to make sense. And when they don't make sense, it kind of bugs me. And that's where, you know, attaching this bridge to the wall, like, does this really make sense? Like I, mm -hmm. I had to find a way for it to make sense for me to have peace with it. Uh, it's also going to affect adjacent builds. Like if you're looking at a town, doesn't matter whether it's a village or whatever, and you want to fix a house that's in the middle of two existing builds. If you like the two builds left and right, and you just want to change the one in the middle, you're kind of hamstrung by what you can do because you don't want to change the way that the builds on the left and the right look you, you don't you can't build bigger because you're just kind of stuck um if you build something super fancy and important does it then overpower the nice two builds that are next to it like there's all these things that you have to consider it's way easier to do everything all at once um if you can i'm not saying that's always the case um i think that there also can be a really nice history to a build and i tried to help myself with this in west hill where i've got the poor fishing village i've got the market area on the east then i've got the main road and then i've got 
the west side, and then I've got the keep. And in the order I just listed them are supposed to be the order in which they were developed and settled. So like the fishing town starts, then like the keep kind of comes into play, and then the eastern market comes in. So that's the older part of town. And then as I built through the two years and I started to do the fancier part of town, I had more like build palette ideas and I had more skills in terms of medieval planning. Like I, I could make it look fancy. Whereas before, if I had jumped right into the fancy part, I, I wouldn't have been happy with it. So I tried to set myself up for success, but there's something really cool. I think about walking through a server that's been around for five years. Like whenever I go to fix my elytra or walk through my spawn, you know, valley, I'm remembering builds from years ago and they don't, they don't look like modern Minecraft builds, but they still look good. And it's this excellent history. And I find that anytime you see a world, you know, of maybe it's just an individual player or something like that online, uh, it doesn't have to be Minecraft either, but you look at something you're like, wow, there's just so much here, but it's, it's because it has a history. It's because they started somewhere, they started simple and they've added layers on top of it. You know, and I feel like those worlds are interesting because they have, pardon me, a history. Uh, if you remove that history, then you're just going to end up with the same kind of like, you know, handful of builds that have sure changed over time, but you're not going to have a record of that. It's the same reason why old cities look so cool when they've got like stone buildings downtown next to skyscrapers or uh, in our case in Halifax, a lot of times the stone facade of a building is required to be kept. Uh, and so it still has that downtown feel, even if the new building inside has to be modernized because the old one was decrepit and falling down. They mm -hmm. still keep like the old brick facade with like, you know, 1876 in the front of it, stuff like that. And it helps maintain a certain vibe. Um, and I think that's true of Minecraft worlds. I mean, and you can speak to this, I think, maybe from a world perspective, too. But so when it comes to your, you know, builds and, and the temptation of going and redoing things, where do you find yourself being pulled and where do you draw the line? I honestly don't recall an example of a time I've gone back to an old build and redone it. I, I don't think I've really done that. I've taken down builds and built something completely different. Like, right. in, in the Survival Guide Season 1, I started in, like, a basic cabin, and my thought was, I'm just going to renovate this cabin and turn it into something bigger. And I eventually just flattened the whole thing and built my farmhouse, which was the center of the season for a really long time. And I think that's the oldest world I really had, because previously to that, my experience was all on the Decidedly Vanilla server, where the first world that I was part of there had been from previous versions. Like, it had been through a couple of terrain changes, I think from 1.4 through to 1.8 when I joined. And so there were chunk borders where terrain was different, and so the world itself had a history, but the builds on it, we didn't really stick around for long enough to revisit old builds and do stuff differently so the longest world that i ever kept was survival guide season one and in that i was trying to constantly make progress because of the tutorial nature of that series it sort of felt like you know making reverse progress <laughs> if i ended up going back and revisiting anything and i never really did an episode about that um so that really felt like the the oldest example of a world I've had. The rest of them haven't had long enough to grow to the point where I want to go back and change much. And like you, I like the idea of it all being available to anybody who looks at the world later as being a, a history of the world and you can see growth in how each of these projects are undertaken. I think the exception for me becomes redstone farms and, and and technical builds in general if there is a new way to farm certain resources like 
the iron farm that I built in 113 didn't work when 114 came around because they had changed the way iron golems spawned. So I could completely revisit that and I ended up building something in the same area, but that still involved tearing down the old iron farm and relocating the villages and stuff. So there were a few a few changes that still happened, but I think with technical builds and farms and that kind of stuff, it does make sense to update them, even if you keep the exterior the same, modernize the interior, like you said. I think that that tends to make a little bit more sense to me. But overall, I don't, I don't think I've had a world that's as old as the Citadel is for you. And I've always gone from world to world instead of um, sticking with one for a longer than a couple of years. I've thought about booting up my old single player, the old Eternia single player thing to see if I could, you know, go in there and and change it or, or take the knowledge and the palettes that we have now with the darker stones and things like that and try to do some things. But I, I, I often hold back thinking like, well, and like, would I be just trying to make like, would I be making more work for myself by going in and trying to renovate something? Like if I wanted to make snake mountain, would it not be better to just like do it on the Citadel, you know, yeah. so that it's all in one place. Um, but would that make sense on the Citadel? Right. And like this, I get, I get kind of like, caught in certain kind of like logic traps um but when i think about that too like i also think like well it's really kind of cool that i did that in minecraft at the level that i was at you know with the tools that i had at the time didn't have an elytra you know so like it was it was um there's a there's a, a pool of water at the base of the build on purpose because i could jump off of it without dying like i could just mm -hmm. rather than climbing down a ladder the ladders were how i got up but coming down was a lot faster um, the very first time uh, on my big iMac at the time, I remember my, the, my stomach kind of going up into my throat. <laughs> you, you, yeah. you jump off something in Minecraft that high for the yeah. first time. You're like, oh, wow, that's a trip. Um, I think that with revisiting old worlds for me, like if I did it as an exercise, I'd make a copy of it. Like I, I wouldn't necessarily change it permanently. Um, and with the Citadel, like, again, the, I think the only time that I've, changed or um I, I guess it's always been additive it would be like oh we've got these farms but now i have the redstone knowledge and we want to create a villager trade center i'm going to make an underground water network and hook up all these farms and instead of just being a manual output they're going to output into an auto dropper that's going to go into you know a water system underneath the meadows and that to me was not necessarily renovating or revisiting old builds it was almost like adding a new build you know yeah yeah and it's funny you mentioned going back to the eternia world because i i mean you've been playing on the citadel like really consistently for the last i mean the couple of years you've just spent on west hill uh and and you've obviously been playing on the server for a lot longer than that i am now at the point where i'm going to return to survival guide after having had a, a hiatus on that while empires was the the current series and i really wanted to put all my effort into empires because of all of the stuff we were doing together and now i have the survival guide season two world on my hard drive it started in 118 in november of 2021 so the world is about 18 months old at this point but i haven't really played on it for the last six months because of empires taking all my focus and now 1.20 is on the way, and it's going to give me loads of new content to cover for the survival guide. But the more I think about it, 
the more I find myself reluctant to return to that world and continue from the place I left off. And I think the main thing is this unfamiliarity, right? I feel like I've lost any sense of emotional attachment I had to it. And because I was following up on Survival Guide Season 1, I was so attached to that world because I'd just taken whatever the dice rolled that day and I got myself the the world that I ended up with and I got really attached to that world I had these expectations for survival guide season two and the spawn area for season two I think I mentioned this at the time I wasn't all that happy with it was like it never really clicked for me that I was just sort of in a birch forest and after all of these big terrain changes had happened there wasn't really a huge amount of terrain around me that exemplified the changes that had been made in 118 so I almost want to start a new world and probably a third season of Survival Guide at this point, not just because I would get access to some of the newer features, but also so that I could find an area that felt iconic enough that it lives up to my expectations for for that series. Like, I would love to start in a place that has a decent mountain range nearby, or, like, some more extremes of terrain that really feel like this is exemplary of what Minecraft has to offer now. And the other thing is the difference between starting a new world and trimming my old world. Um, Because obviously a lot of the stuff that I'm looking for in 1.20 is going to be reliant on finding new terrain and new structures. Thinking of stuff like armor trim, trail ruins, and sniffer eggs. Um, Like All of those are going to be archaeology related or they're going to be structure related. And I've explored a pretty large amount of the central area of the Survival Guide Season 2 world. I've already been to Woodland Mansions and rescued the Allays from them and looted them. The ancient city that I found, I started doing a bit of a renovation project on that didn't really go anywhere. But I've done enough in those areas that if I were to trim the world based on the time I've spent there and my activity there, those structures would still stay intact. And that's the problem, because I need those structures to refresh entirely in order to get armor trim from the ancient city and the Woodland Mansion. Otherwise, I have to travel potentially tens of thousands of blocks to find yet another Woodland Mansion just so I can find some Vex armor trim. And I thought, sure, I can trim out the world. I can, I can, you know, remove that stuff from existence. But then, in that case, why not just start a new one? But the inverse logic also applies. If, if I'm willing to start a new world, I'm going to be abandoning these projects anyway, so why not trim them out of my existing world and keep going? It, it, it's sort of a cyclical pattern of logic at that point. Um, I, I think the main difference really between Survival Guide and something like The Citadel is because it's a tutorial series, it feels different from a long-term passion projects kind of world. Like, right. if, I, if I've if i got to keep finding new stuff to say about building and other topics, I can't spend two years like you meticulously building a city and kind of putting all of my you know, creative input into one project because then the audience who isn't interested in that is going to leave by episode three and then two years down the line when I'm, you know, a hundred or so episodes into the same project, it's going to be still the same thing. And it works for a lot of people because building can be their focus and they, you know, broadcast themselves as that, whereas I'm broadcasting myself as a Minecraft encyclopedia at that right. point. So I, I'm I'm really on the fence at this stage, even though what I've been saying and the only thing really keeping me in the season two world is there's a sense of obligation to return to it and a feeling that my work there wasn't really finished. But I think, as we've said, you know, nothing ever really feels finished in Minecraft. 
you always end up with more stuff you could do but you decide to move on because it feels like the right time and and so i feel like the only thing that's keeping me in the season two world at this point is the promise that i would return to that world and not to a different one and i think you could probably tie that up with like a a single return tour video or Mm. explaining the reasons why you're moving forward and i think you know that kind of stuff i could see the, the the survival guide tutorial world staying longer if for example minecraft 1.20 wasn't dropping things like armor trim that required such a long travel time and like all that kind of stuff if if 1.20 was was not something that affected this like the exploration and size of the world uh then i think you could probably continue without too much issue because you could always at some point reach a uh, you know a situation in the survival guide where yes you want to start over because there's a new minecraft update and maybe some new things in early game have changed you know that kind of thing and you could always just like you know dump all your gear into a into a chest teleport yourself twenty thousand blocks away and like quote unquote start over um and then still have the history of that world so if you ever wanted to compare what you were doing in minecraft 1.60 uh and and minecraft 1.55 then you could uh, but when Mojang updates the game in a way similar to like, I mean, the best, best example is 118, right? You know, like when they expanded the way that the overworld was developed, um, a lot of people wanted to reboot because they didn't want to travel thousands of blocks to find mountain ranges and, and see this new terrain, caves, all that kind of stuff. And they also didn't want to deal with this new terrain encroaching on their existing stuff, making it look you know, things look a little bit wonky, even though Mojang did a pretty good job of smoothing that out. It still wasn't, you know, always the best. And by starting a new world with the new terrain, you really felt like you were in the updated Minecraft, right? Yeah. And, and I, and I feel like, you know, you could almost kind of, I think depending on what Mojang does for updates, you could almost push survival guys worlds to be longer, you know, if you wanted to. Um, rather than having to start over again. And I guess the the whole tutorial to start over, like you could do little bits of like, well, here's what it would look like if you are starting new. I'll walk you through the first, you know, areas of the game. But then after we're done, the basic tutorial, we move on to more advanced stuff. I'm going to return back to these projects that I was working on last, you know, last season or, or last update. And you could always do a tutorial on what it's like to bring a build from 1.19 into 1.20, that kind of stuff yeah you know like that that could be that could be some territory that i've not seen treaded before so it's it's hard to say um cosmic in our chat is bringing up something interesting too about retreading some of their old builds because they feel like they've improved as a builder but it's not just because they're fixing them because they're old there's a story that they're trying to tell and i think that's an interesting idea is that if there's a narrative in their world and either if the narrative has changed because you've had a better idea or if you just didn't feel like you did the narrative justice the first time and now you feel you can, I feel like that's a little bit more of a reason to redo something. How would you find, like, if you're telling a story and you know you can do it better or you've had a, an epiphany and you know it's going to be a, 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 a an improved communication on that, when I go back to redo something, it's just because I don't like it. Like it's, it's very, it's very much the artist in me looking at old drawings going like, God, I can't believe I, you know, I really wish I could have done that better back then. And that's how I feel about the, some of the Minecraft builds. It's not that I feel like I could tell a better story because I don't really have a story going on in Westo. 
Yeah, I, th I think it makes sense. As somebody who's been building story-related and world-building stuff on Empires for a while, I can see that being a good approach to, to wanting to tell a story in a more effective way. And and that makes sense. Like, if, if you've built, say you built a, a shipwreck kind of build as though you've washed up on a beach somewhere at the start of your series, but then you go back and revisit that later and you think, that wasn't the most artful. It kind of looks like the default Minecraft shipwreck. So let me build something that feels a lot more expansive, like a frigate has beached itself there and, and that sort of like leaning over into all the palm trees and stuff like that. If, if that feels like a a better revision of that build then then it it makes a whole lot of sense to do that i think from the story of the world if you feel like you are better equipped to tell that story it's like doing a second draft of a novel or something like that that's an approach i can get on board with i i feel like most of the time just redoing it for redoing its sake is the thing i want to avoid and yes, just making yeah. it look making it look like you're still playing minecraft but it feels slightly different versus sculpting something into something that feels more in line with your vision for it initially yeah I, I can i can see that working out it's just not an approach i've ever felt like taking because i've never been telling a story that feels that comprehensive <laughs> i've never really like built something that either i wasn't happy with at the time or i had time to go back later and revise for the sake of the story being what it was later on further down the line I find that being able to walk away from something in Minecraft as done, despite either not being 100% happy with it or other reasons, I think that's also a skill to develop. You know, like I know personally in my artwork, I'm a perfectionist and I will take an eon to get it right. I will not stop until I get it right. And two things usually affect that when you're a professional deadlines and money. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, you have to learn those skills of like, if I was drawing a web comic, yes, I'm my own boss, but I have readers that are expecting that web comic every Monday. And if I can't finish what I want to do by tomorrow, then I've, you know, I'm either going to stay up real, real late and get it done the way that I want, or I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to cut some corners or I'm going to make some sacrifices, make some decisions there. Right, well, I can't do that for this week, but if I plan better and manage my time better, I can do this fancy you know, Star Wars drawing for another comic. I'll do that gag next time. I've definitely had that happen. Mm -hmm. And then as a professional artist, if you spend all of your time redoing things, making it absolutely perfect, you'll make $5 an hour. So like if you're on a contract rate, like you have to figure out how can you get it to be as good as you can within the time that you're allotted that the client is going to approve, even though you might not be happy with it. If the client's happy with it and you're within your, your deadline budget, uh, and the and the monetary budget where you're not eating your own hat, then that's that's a skill you have to learn. Like I definitely had a learn to let go, you know, education as an artist. And I think the same applies to Minecraft. Like you can, I can go over all kinds of stuff, and I just I would just be there fixing it forever. You know, I can see I can see myself doing it during a build. Like I maybe not revisiting things later, but I definitely go over things too many times and have to stop myself in a build. You know. Yeah. As always, we'd love to get people's impressions on this discussion. We would love to hear from you folks, the listeners out there, if you are interested in moving on in 1.20, if you're interested in starting a brand new world, or if you're going to be going back and revisiting some of your old old builds and putting in some of the new features even, as 
gets ever nearer we'd love to hear from you uh, that's going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at the the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chats you can listen to the show when it's recorded live in discord every week and you get our monthly minecraft audio hangout along with a bunch of other stuff as well we currently have 313 patrons which is down two from last week with the summer holidays approaching if you're a parent who wants to play minecraft with your kids and what's the inside scoop or if you're just looking for more like-minded minecraft folks to hang out with we would love to have you join our discord uh, special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is the best way to share the podcast. It's free. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and that can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Make sure to leave a rating or a review wherever you find the podcast if you want to help us out. You can also leave a comment on the YouTube channel. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at the spawnchunks.com. And the Patreon-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I will eventually have a finale of my Empire's SMP Season 2 series. Once I built this castle, been to Spain for a week, come back, and had time to edit it. In the meantime, I'm streaming three days a week on Twitch, where you can see the behind-the-scenes process of that castle being built. A lot of light matica these days. And I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online can be linked at joelduggan.com. That includes the Citadel Cafe, my podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. Lots of Star Wars talk coming up this week. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream every day but Monday because I'm here doing this show. Lego on Fridays. I'm working on Satisfactory coming back on Wednesdays. The rest of the time I'm working in Minecraft and trying to finish up Westall. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but sometimes you need another one.